Welcome to all those tuning in to today's edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. It is August 14th, and we're in the new building, the new environment building. I know. So we've left behind our, our Clemus penthouse studios and have, have stepped up. It's quite an impressive place. How's the natural light treating you? The natural light is nice. <laughs> I'm squinting a lot. <laughs> not, and actually, not used the, to all this. 2015 uh, internet connection is nice too, as yeah, opposed no. to the 1990 dial-up. For those that have not seen the building, it's worth checking out. It's uh, the architecture is like a slot canyon here, so yeah. it's, it's quite impressive when you yeah. when you when you stand in. So we invite everybody to come down, and I also want to <laughs> extend a very happy peak precipitable water day. That is that is. Yep. Wonderful. Yep. And you didn't bring donuts or no, anything to celebrate. We're going to try to put it on the agenda for an official holiday here. But what that means is we're now at the climatological peak of the monsoon precipitable water. So, you know, And what is it like out today? Well, today is, is not following <laughs> suit. not at all. This is when climatology lies to you. Uh, yeah, yes. But I think what that marks is, by one metric at least, we're mid to the midpoint yeah. of, of yep. the monsoon, which is fortuitous because we're here and we want to provide a... A snapshot of what the monsoons look like. Yeah, so. we're just a couple days past the calendar midpoint of the uh, the monsoon, based on the, the June fifteenth to September thirtieth. So I, li- I like how you caught that peak precipitable water. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Peak precipitable water day. That'll be so the challenge. Mark your calendar is yeah. June fourteenth. Say it four times fast. August fourteenth. August whatever. Yes. August fourteenth feels a little like June fourteenth outside <laughs> yeah. today. It does. Actually. We are now in another one of the the monsoon breaks. Yes, we are in the throes of a monsoon break. Yes. Okay, Mike. So let's summarize probably the the climatological season that is the most challenging to summarize. Let's start with sort of the spatial fingerprint. Well, why don't why don't you give it a letter grade? I don't we do rank. great. You I don't. Was, I was never. <laughs> you good go in, to one of those I schools. I was never good in school. Oh my gosh. Okay. You went. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'll give it one. Yeah. I was thinking about this. I'll give it a, a C plus. A C plus. Yeah. Why a C plus? It's coming in just a little above average by a lot of our metrics. Not screaming success, I think, or screaming failure in any, in any way of uh, sort of looking at this. This is both across Arizona and New Mexico. We're we're kind of coming to grips with the idea that this is a pretty normalish monsoon. A normal monsoon. No, that's 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 those rough pretty, words. Yeah, those are, those are rough yeah, words. You're right. <laughs> as many people who live in the Southwest know, normal is a hard thing to to label for for the monsoon because each monsoon has its sort of nuances. So let's dive a little bit into the, those nuances. If you look at the amount of Arizona that is experiencing below seventy five percent of average, it's about thirty five percent. The amount of Arizona experiencing above 125% of average is about 30%. And of course, the middle, the near average part is about 30%. So, you know, it's a, it's sort of a nice. Even thirds. Yeah, even thirds across. <laughs> I don't know if you'd expect that to happen, but yeah, and, you've got an even thirds breakdown of, of who's really wet, who's near what they should see over this period of time, and who's below average. If you cruise over to New Mexico, the mm-hmm. story is pretty darn different. Yeah. Yeah. And I must admit, I'm going to have to lean on other people here because I was going to lean on you. There's only three of us in the room. This is, this could be because my eyes have been fixated more on, 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 on Tucson area and, and uh, Arizona, but the, the spatial fingerprint for the monsoon for New Mexico is less than 10% is, is, is tallying less than 75% of average. And 65% 65% is above that 125% of average. So a lot of New Mexico is experiencing quite a wet wet summer so far. Yeah, and I, I think if if you look back through since 
the middle part of June and, and kind of even probably bleeds into the last podcast discussion we have too, it appears that, and again, we're in Tucson, so we're kind of looking across the way here, looking at some of the data. The precip has been fairly regular with some very big standout events and very heavy rainfall. More recently, it certainly has slowed down and it's it's been a, a little bit in lockstep with some of the slowdown we've had here. There's been some dry air that's bled into New Mexico and is actually pushed into parts of eastern Arizona over the last week or so that we're actually now in the throes of that dry air that have caused some of that slowdown. But, but I think by all accounts, it has been wet um, with frequent activity and some of these really big events stacking up across much, much of uh, New Mexico. You know, really doesn't match the, the pattern that we've seen here in Arizona so far this monsoon season. That's one measure, the spatial extent to which Arizona and New Mexico have received precipitation. Let's look at a little bit at the, the sort of temporal evolution. I mean, we noted this last time that the monsoon, you know, was set up early, although it didn't deliver, it set up, the circulation set up, but the precipitation didn't deliver as maybe we had hoped. And then we, we got into early July and, you know, we had a string there of sort of widespread coverage. July 4th, July 5th were pretty widespread. And then we had July 18th was actually, at, to date at that point, the largest coverage in Arizona, which if I'm remembering correctly, was an assist from Hurricane or the remnant of Hurricane Dolores, which right. was which was off in the East, East Pacific. More recently, it's been, it's been actually quite, quite hit or miss. Yeah, it's been pretty quiet since that kind of July 18th event. If you look across um, the last couple of weeks, especially that kind of later half of July, we did have some activity across Southeast Arizona, and there was some actually pretty heavy storms that, that were sort of hit or miss. So I think that it really, and this is such the typical thing, if, is if you were underneath one of those thunderstorm, it really colors your perception right. for, for a period of days. And, you know, if you're, if you're under those a couple of times, you're, you're, you feel like you're uh, on top of the world as far as the monsoon season. But that has not been the case for much of the state. And if we look at sort of the central part of the state with uh, like the Phoenix area, they've seen a lot of dust storms, some spectacular lightning throughout the season, but very little in the way of precipitation. More recently, some precip has pushed up through there. And if you get back to, and you can look at some of the stats across the state, um, the Yuma Proving Ground station in in Yuma, clearly, given its namesake, is uh, recorded one one hundredth of an inch so far this this monsoon season, and that was just within the last week or two. So, so they've had one event. Did somebody sneeze yeah, in it. It's possible you could be recording error. Yeah, hopefully it's not a tipping bucket because that would have been one tip that somebody might have just bumped into it or something like that. But you think back to the last couple of summers. The low desert areas, we had already had some flood out um, rain events with some of the tropical storms by this time last year in the southwest part of the state. So it's actually been kind of interesting that very confined activity to really following a lot of it's been following elevation across much of the state. Right. And that's a good point, because if you look at uh, some of the percent of average maps, the four corners area, actually the north eastern part of Arizona has fared quite well. They've done well. They, they've had some frequent and really pretty epic kind of flooding. I don't know if you, any of you guys saw the, the social media footage of the uh, Marble Canyon area in northern Arizona flooding. It was amazing. So 89 is the road that goes to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, which had been blown out by a sort of a storm event a couple of years ago, and it took them forever to restore it. Got blown out again. I, I don't know how much it got blown out, but I think that they were able to fix it. But there was a, a very flat area and a wash crossing, and there was a, there was somebody who come up to it while a flash flood was coming through. There was a standing wave that was about 10 feet tall. The Department of Transportation pictures 
afterwards showed this front loader moving car-sized boulders off of the road. <laughs> so it kind of in lockstep with, I think there's been a lot of water, a lot of saturation. Any storm that kind of falls has been pushing water up. There's some pictures from Navajo Nation, um, widespread flooding just in the last couple of days with the storm event that moved through there. So this is, again, remember last summer, Four Corners did very poorly with their monsoon season up until the flooding events that came with some of the tropical storm activities. So yeah, a little bit of a flip. August 11th was one of the more active days this year in, in Arizona. And I, I just wanted to go back, Mike, because I we had some spectacular uh, lightning. Best storm I'd seen of this summer here in Tucson. From the, the National Weather Service map of that day, it, only the, the Yuma, you know, southwest corner that, that didn't get precip and everywhere else in, in Arizona did. Do you recall what sort of conditions set up for, for that to happen? Let's yeah. just take a little look at inside a day of the monsoon. Well, I think, and then we can even kind of use this as sort of a way to talk about the broader weather map pattern and the circulation pattern that we've been dealing with the last probably 30 days since we last talked on the, the podcast here. One of the concerns in my sort of negative moments of the last podcast, you remember me sort of... Dis- yes, you had your blue pants on. I had, did, very <laughs> negative, my negative pants. Even with 110 degrees out today, I've, I've tried to keep a, a you know, a strong face on. But one of the things that of, of concern with the El Nino in the Pacific was the displacement of the, the monsoon ridge. I, I do think that we've seen indications of that because if we look at the weather map pattern, the typical um, subtropical ridge, or we call our monsoon high or that, that monsoon ridge, has been off to the east. And there's been a, a trough of low pressure off the California coast that's been deeper stronger than normal. And so if you think about that, think about two gears, you know, one gear that's turning in a counterclockwise direction over California and one that's turning in clockwise that's over, say, Texas, that puts us between these two gears and that's a southerly um, flow of moisture. And so that's that's typically what we've been in. And, and that can, as we talked about, that can put you on this edge of, you know, either very dry air coming in from the Pacific or very, very moist air coming in um, just from the south of us. That has been the pattern. You can see we kind of sloshed in and out of moisture that can be a fairly challenging pattern, I think, to set up sort of broad thunderstorms. We've had some issues with like thunderstorms will pop up and shade out the valleys as the anvils run ahead of them. And that's happened a few times. Happened a few times. Yeah. And that's sort of kind of classic. So it quells the sensible heating. Though. Yeah. Yeah. You can throw in the window shades down and you just sort of cool off the room. Kind of that similar thing. With that, that flow pattern, you have what we call unidirectional um, flow. It's kind of coming all the same all to the south. So you get that. What ended up happening on August 11th was we were still in this deep southerly flow. So the precipitable water, close to precipitable water max day, right, was very, very high. And, and this is what was really interesting, I think, about that August 11th storm was that we woke up to rain in Tucson. And that is always the death knell. Yeah. Like if you hear rain in the morning, you can might as well just throw your umbrella away, right? Because if you can get through the rain in the morning, you're done, right? Because yeah, like, you're not going to generate that yeah. heat that's going to cause that convection and that buoyancy in the air. Exactly. We've had plenty of those days. We've actually had quite a few days in southern Arizona where we've woken up to rain uh, in the morning. And they're typically kind of showery, maybe a little bit of lightning. And is that because there's just a lot of moisture around? I mean, why, <clears throat> why is it raining at night? So, so typically those are, it's the leftovers from somebody's awesome storms yeah, like south a, of us, right. right? So they're having this like Outflows, amazing they call those like, like the Thanksgiving MCSs, dinner. MCS is the totally. mesoscale convective systems that are pushing moisture up. Yeah, and you, and you, you, know, you go to bed and you watch the stuff sort of flaring up in, in Sonora or Chihuahua. And that's even sort of kind of traversing on some deep easterly flow just south of us. And then you wake up and, you, and you've got this basically kind of lukewarm 
leftovers of like picked over turkey and that kind of stuff. So, and you can see I'm kind of down on these morning storms because typically what they do is, is that they, they're not really impressive precip wise. And they typically, what they do is they cool it off, but they make it super humid. Right. And then they clear out and then they leave you with this, you know, South Florida atmosphere by the afternoon. But that August 11th day was, was really interesting because we did that. And by midday, we were able to completely mix out all that cool air and heat it up quick. Holy moly. Yeah. And there, there appeared to have been just enough, we call a cap or, or sort of an inversion in the, that temperature profile or something just held off, or maybe we reached that convective temperature, that, that key temperature to have explosive thunderstorms right about dinner time that day. And it was amazing to watch the storms kind of pop up and fall apart on the mountains. And it was perfectly clear over Tucson. And then I went home on the east side and just watched this thing sort of creep towards us. And it was within, I know we were all talked about this, within half an hour, the valley completely filled in. The radar was indicating that the thunderstorm tops were well over 50,000 feet. So they literally had exploded. I mean, this is the kind of explosive development you see in the Great Plains with those kinds of thunderstorms. So it was an amazing event. We lost power at our house. We had frequent lightning. We got a, about almost an inch of rain in about 30 minutes. Um, it was the best storm I'd seen all, all summer. So it's just kind of emblematic about how the nuances of any particular day can overrun yeah, totally. the, what the, you would expect from the synoptic yeah. to sort of regional scale circulation. Yeah, somebody pointed out on, on Twitter that night was a, you could see the, the moisture plume of that we were working with that day was very narrow and kind of focused over sort of Tucson, central Arizona and all the way up to Northern Zone, but it extended all the way back to Central America. And again, it was what we talked about before. It was dry to the dry to the east in New Mexico and dry over Yuma. All the way from Costa Rica, the yeah. the Pura Vida Express. Exactly. Should we, should we coin that? <laughs> I think you should. Man, you're you're on fire today. These are these are Cafe Press okay, t-shirt so, opportunities so now, galore. <laughs> I wanted to t touch on something because the thing that I've noticed is that um, the wind profiles this this monsoon haven't actually been that great for instigating or feeding into large scale monsoon act activity. Have you noticed that as well? Again, that southerly flow is typically weak um, because we're not in a tight gradient between the low and the high, and it's it's just sort of sloppy. Again, when we think about canonical or the sort of classic monsoon patterns, that deep easterly flow can have these embedded disturbances in them, can have good amounts of shear, can produce more organized precip events. But it's interesting to note that we've we've done quite well with squeaking out these widespread events with this sort of kind of strange flow pattern, much better than I expected that we would have. And when you say that, are you are you also thinking about the deserts and not just the mountains? Because the mountains, like, even when you have these southerly flows, it's the mountains can do quite well. Yeah, and and then they have, you know, they they largely have done really well. I mean, you look at some of these events uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, when it's rain, it's rain in the mountains and hasn't pushed in the valleys. And so that that was even this event in, in August had deep enough moisture present that the outflows from the storms were enough to drive a lot of the additional development. So, and I don't believe there was anything, I think there was some suggestion that there was like a little bit of a, a, a mesoscale vortice or something like that. I remember reading on one of the discussions around that time, which may have helped trigger stuff. Maybe it was helping to organize, but I do think it was the sort of rolling of outflows all the way into Phoenix. I mean, it rained in Phoenix with that event as well. Um, so yeah, so, but again, nothing that I can remember that was sort of broadly organized around like an easterly wave. Like right. you don't really get that with this kind of flow pattern. You have something to kind of ride around, but maybe that's what we can start looking forward to over the next couple of weeks into September is maybe more sort of organized sort of tropical pulses of moisture, organized disturbances. That brings us to the tropical Eastern 
Pacific, which oftentimes does provide an assist at this at this time of year. I mean, we yeah. had a few already, a few few uh, hurricanes. Dolores, I mentioned before, Carlos, and a few others. I mean, there's been four or five so far. They it seems actually to be quite infrequent, given that it was act very active early on, and it's sort of been a, a quiet period. But if you look at uh, the and metric of the amount of of energy. Mike, help me out on this. Uh, accumulated cyclone. Yeah, energy. ACE. Yeah. yeah, accumulated cyclone energy that the East Pacific has is is running at you know two hundred percent of yeah of average, which is which is what had been forecasted mm-hmm. given yep. given the sort of climate scenario that's that's setting up, which includes El Nino, which I don't want necessarily to dive too much into right now. Yeah. Because as a as a as a teaser, we'll talk a little bit about it in a minute, but we're gonna we're gonna come back and. And talk about it in a week, week or so, in more detail. But there may be some activity on, on the horizon related to that. As best as I, I can sort of piece together, and I'm not a tropical meteorology expert at all, but I, I'm definitely an enthusiast and sort of reading the National Hurricane Center discussions and all those kinds of things. And one thing that some of the forecasters have noted is over the past couple of weeks through July is that the the shear between, and this would be sort of the difference in wind speed between the lower levels atmosphere and the upper levels, has been very, very high, like almost record high. In parts of sort of the East Pacific, sort of north, kind of close to Baja, which I believe they're suggesting has been really limiting the the, mm. the development there. So the storms that have been forming a little further south and have been wandering off to the west, which is again what you'd expect to At happen in July, area. yeah. But that there's a little subtle shift in the circulation pattern um, coming up, and the forecast models over the next ten days pop up a couple actually. And they put us in this southerly flow again. The monsoon ridge is overhead today, which is why it's so miserable outside. But that's expected to sort of move back to the east. And then there's there's still that chance. And again, I think we really need to watch September carefully because that is, you know I think we're in the crosshairs for 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 something to visit us in the in the southwest. Right. So climatologically, the tropical East Pacific hurricanes can recur more. Like more likely than in earlier yeah, in the season, it's, it's toward the toward the east. Very into, unusual to have it in June. Very unusual in July. You start to getting in September, in late August, gets more more probable, and then by by September, we're now sort of transitioning into fall. Right. And you already see the models picking up on a, a kind of a wintertime El Nino signal, which is the sort of troughiness or storm track setting up over the southwest, which would then be favorable for taking tropical stuff up our direction. Right. And that's, you know, that's a function of as the, the earth heads into winter and Northern hemisphere cools, the sort of westerlies settle back a little bit further, exactly. further south. Yeah. The monsoon ridge. push the, yeah. the hurricanes eastward. Yep. Yeah. It's very, very cli- kind of climatological. And the forecast models, as far as precip, this, the month, the weekly to monthly timescale climate forecast system is still suggesting a wet September. So I, I think that they're sort of queuing in on this pattern shift that we would expect, and then probably leaning on this idea that they would expect tropical moisture to make it up here. It's also worth noting that the sea surface temperatures in that area are is still really high, still and that, that's going to provide a little bit extra boost to yep. moisture available. Yep. And, as long as you can get that shear out of the way and you can create that env- environment, which it appears to be sort of moving in that direction, would, would be, be favorable for that, kind of what we talked about over the last couple of months. You know, it's probably also worth mentioning, even though our purview isn't on California, but California's had a really odd summer so far. Yeah, another one. You know, like you think about last year too. They're they're getting more precip in the summer than they are in the winter. Yeah. Which is not normal for a Mediterranean climate. That Dolores, that. that Hurricane Dolores gave uh Los Angeles and, and San Diego quite a quite a dollop of rain. Big time. It was I think well over an inch. It yeah, was something yeah. that was like 
record-breaking because the record was so low, I think. They were saying that the rain in San Diego on that day surpassed um, oh, that's right. Yeah, all July rain for San Diego. Yeah, if you total up over yeah. 100 years, it, exactly. it was exceeded in one day's rain. I love that. That was a, that was a great, a mind-blowing statistic. And right. there so was something very about unusual. the rain delays in, for the Padres was was kind of unheard of too. I mean, just crazy stuff. I don't think they even knew what to do. Uh, they didn't have it in the in the sort of guidebook for this for the stadium. Or looking out to September and the the you know the final months of this monsoon is most of the models are indeed calling for you know increased chances of of above average precipitation. You know maybe Mike that C plus turns into a B minus. <laughs> wow. I'm a pretty strict grader. <laughs> I mean, uh, I actually think your C plus is, a, yeah, a little harsh. I mean, you're, I, not, you're not using a curve at all. Because well, that's if you a, look at the, so I, look, I looked agree. at some of the stations, you know, so, what, seven in Arizona, 70 are, are running at uh, positive anomalies okay. and like 40 are running at negative anomalies or something like this. So, you know. That seems like we're hitting the middle of the, I don't know how you, you grade your classes there, Zach, but geez. You show up, you get a B minus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Then, then we're there. Just kidding. I, I'm, I am so there with you then. This one showed up. I, but I, we were joking too, is that I, I've been trying to think about this whole thing of, of uh, how would you grade a monsoon? And I, I think you're right. I think I'm too harsh because a good monsoon for me, it rains an inch, inch every day at my house in the afternoon. I have an awesome lightning storm. August 11th every day. August 11th every day. It's funny. We talk to people who, who talk about this idea that it, it rains every day at five o'clock and I just can't find any station data that suggests that that is, that is actually the case for Tucson. Tucson gets about 25 days with observed precipitation between June 15th and September 30th. So if you think about it over, um, over a hundred days, I think it's like 108 days, quarter, quarter of the time. Yeah. About a quarter of the time. And on average, you have about a week. (laughs) Exactly. And that would be awesome if you could nail that, but it never does. Right. Rains for a couple of days and then we take a break for seven, eight days. Yeah, yeah. I think we do have maybe an un, unrealistic expectation about what the monsoon is, and I think we that's yeah. a really good point. A quarter of the time in the monsoon, it's raining. It's dead. Yeah, exactly. Three, Three quarters, quarters is dead days. It's dead yeah. days, and yeah. you're and you're and you're looking at the mountains who are getting it. I think that that's the frustrating thing is it's always sort of at your fingertips, especially when you live in this sort of mountain valley climate like we do here. Um, so Tucson's <laughs> only experienced half of those 25 days, 13. Well, that's, days, and so, again, we're only halfway through the month. Yeah. We're only halfway right? through the month. So it's, it's there, right? Right. So we're, yeah. we're, we're running if, if there is such a thing as normal monsoon. So it's mid semester and you're, you're turning the work in. You're not trying that hard, right? You're showing up. What do you want? Yeah. But, but let's use a sports analogy. You know, you're tied at halftime. You're feeling pretty good. Well, okay. You know, because you can turn, well, you're yeah, thinking yourself, you can turn it on at you like nuts in the locker room though. Right. He's not saying fourth Great. quarter team. Oh, okay. If you're, <laughs> fair enough. You I mean, want this to dominate a, the fourth quarter. Yeah. Like you want to do this, these Odeal Norberts every time. Yeah. Not nobody. Odile. That's just, that's too much pressure, man. You know, it's inter- too stressful. Interestingly about uh, Odeal because it was sort of a dud, but if you looked at Dolores and we were talking about before yeah. on what, uh, July 18th, basically Everywhere around Tucson got rain. I know. It was just like you said before. <laughs> that this was the donut, donut hole. hole. That over was the Tucson. proverbial donut hole. Yeah. So you're like, what? We got we got rain on. I told. I, yeah, I couldn't. I didn't remember Dolores existed because it didn't happen at my house. So that that was uh, that's another problem with monsoon monitoring. I want to wrap up the monsoon, and we'll come back in a month. It'll be the waning stages, if not the monsoon will be over by then, and yep. so we can 
try to, again, wrap our head around. One of these times we're going to come up with a very pithy way of, you know, I ranking tried with these C plus. <laughs> yeah, that's too, that, that's too subjective. We <laughs> okay. need an objective analysis. Before going on, the last couple of days have seen this explosion of apocalyptic El Nino headlines. I believe yeah. it, it made big headlines it in did, some yeah. of the major newspapers yep. because NOAA, NOAA uh, the Climate Prediction Center. They, know, they release them every month. Everyone. They release them every month. And, <laughs> exactly. you know, they don't usually get a lot of coverage. We're so. still on target for what's looking like a Are you gonna strong say El Nino. You're going to call it Godzilla? <laughs> I am, some people are saying Godzilla, and that's, that's what we're I was telling to. Ben that I was going to go with Mothra. We need to we need to do a sort of a, a retrospective, I think, on some of the bigger El Ninos in the past, because this one is being compared to some of the bigger events like the 82, 83, 97, 98 events that mm -hmm. were the two largest on record. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by some sea surface temperature metrics were were close to those sort of metrics as they were in, in, in the past. And so it's leading people to to think about this year in comparison to the to the really strong events. Yep. But it's also worth thinking about the the translation of what goes on in the tropical pacific into precipitation here absolutely big i mean a strong el nino favors more uh more copious precipitation mm -hmm. not a slam dunk no, no and and then of course this this sort of temporal evolution within the season of that precipitation is 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 worth taking a, uh, a note of so i don't know if you have any Quick thoughts on that, but we're going to come back yeah. in a week or so and dive more deeply into into this El Nino. That's yeah, and I think that you know when you and I have been been kicking around, and you did a nice little analysis last night to kind of map out the evolution of this El Nino event, and it's important to think about the peak magnitude of the events. But that's kind of as far as you can take the sort of comparability between them because they're so different as far as the way they evolve and the way that they they pan out. And it really we're talking about a climate phenomenon that's going to produce sensible weather. And then the sensible weather is what we're going to actually have to deal with. So right. I think that what you and I can do is we can talk a little bit more about, well, what did the pattern of rainfall in Tucson and Phoenix and Albuquerque and El Paso look like through the 82 event, 82, 83, the 97, 98 event. And then the other thing that's, that's been really important for us to, to think about too, is the antecedent conditions prior to these events evolving relates completely to the kinds of impacts you'd expect to see. The 97, 98 event was, in California was very destructive. And it looks like it was very destructive largely because 96 and 97 were so right. wet and California got so beat up by flooding, had so much damage that they had these lingering impacts and vulnerabilities that extended that made them just, you know, subject to getting beat up more by 97, 98. In Arizona, we actually didn't have those same wet conditions the previous year, probably had a bit more capacity as you're thinking as far as reservoirs for flood management. I don't know. This is all the kind yeah. of stuff that I think that we should, we should tease out. We should dive into. We also, that, that year received a, a hurricane Nora, right? Yeah, that's right. Hurricane Nora, Nora in happened in September. September. Yep. But you know, typical Nino, time of, mm -hmm. of hurricanes for this, for this part. Yep. Hurricane Nora. And it was a lower Colorado river event, not a Phoenix and Tucson event. So it kind of largely goes unnoticed. Definitely the devils will be in the details of how this went. I think that we can definitively say by next April, there's a really good chance that we will see above average precip totals, but how we actually get there right. and what the winter looks like right. is really kind of subject to the weather. If I was El Nino and you know I was walking into a, a ring, what would my theme song be? So I'm, I'm, pick, I'm oh, picking this, this one good. out for the, for the 2015 event. Okay. I'm pumped. Okay. I mean, with that, like... <laughs> I know. You're going to go to jail for, for copyright. I mean, 
Is that, is but that when you're worse in, than the Godzilla El Nino? It I think kinda, it could be. It kinda, well, it, could, <laughs> it possibly could be. How about y'all ready for this? Let's just use all of the sports, um, you know, intro music. Well, I love how um, the Climate Prediction Center, uh, uh, Emily Becker from the NOAA Climate.gov blog, she's already named the El Nino event Bruce Lee. So I, I think we're all on the same page here. So, so. I, there, Yeah, and there is one exciting thing about this, and that is we get excited about these extreme we events. We do. This is exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, next week we talk a little bit more. You know, we can be a little more serious about the expectation for impacts, both right. the good and the bad and the things that we should be thinking about. It's one of these situations that it's really good heads up to be thinking about flood response plans, even if you don't use them. Right. right. Doesn't mean you need to go out and like, I don't do anything crazy. Right. Like, you know, put your house on stilts or anything like that at this point. I don't think. But no, I think we're I think we're OK. All right. Well, that's a sufficient teaser for, I think so. for yep. the El Nino podcast that's going to that's gonna come up. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And I uh, wanted to call out Clemus, uh, Ben McMahon, again, who's sitting here, um, who does all of the... Um, who makes us sound good. Yeah, makes us sound good. all the insane things that we say. Yeah, and, you know, puts together a good uh, sort of script. Cal's your your. I'm with uh, University of Arizona Cooperative Extension right. and with Clemus and. Uh, you know, I yeah. feel like because we're in the new building, we should we have a lot more to be thankful now. We do. You know, Actually, you're right. And we're I not think like in, we're not like in a closet with a, a, a light like that may not our work. Our serotonin levels are just generally higher now, and I've been looking out the window this whole podcast, which I've never been able to do. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, for tuning in, uh, and we'll come back in a, not a short time. Rising up. I guess I'll leave the <laughs> Something in the street. Something, something, take my chances. Something, 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 something. Tiger. That's, yeah, I have most of it, right?